chapters 13 and 14. If you are a guest with us, uh, or if you're new even to a Christian church, uh, what you're experiencing as we worship our God together is a regular part of our gatherings. And then uh, the sermon is a time where we look at some portion of the Bible uh, and right now, as a church, we're studying through the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, it's on page 979 in the Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you. 979, Acts 13. We're continuing this series. The book of Acts is, is showing us the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. And so after Jesus came into this world for us, he came, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose again, then he appeared to many, uh, proving his resurrection, and then he was ascended and is seated now at the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns and he's guiding his church through the Holy Spirit. And so this is the, the story that we're picking up on. He tells the church, his witnesses, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then spread out into Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And that's that's the portion that we're at now is that last portion of to the ends of the earth as the, the baton has kind of been passed from Peter to Paul here in the, the book of Acts. And we're going to see in, in Acts 13 and 14 Paul's first missionary journey as he's sent out from this city in Antioch in Syria. He's sent out with Barnabas uh, to take the gospel to some of these neighboring people groups uh, to the Gentile nations that were around. And this is an incredible story. If we believe this story as true, and, and we do, we should, uh, it's an amazing story. These aren't just legends of um, heroes, of mythical figures in, in history. These are, these are true accounts. And if we were to hear Paul come here today and tell of this journey... The, the things that he experienced, the things that he went through, what he was able to see, ways that he was able to see God work, we would be moved, motivated, encouraged, energized to join into this mission as well. Stories have that kind of impact on us. Maybe you can think of a, a baptism testimony or uh, some Christian who has suffered immense difficulty or trial. Or maybe it is a, a missionary who's come and, and telling some of what God is doing through their work. Uh, but there, there are lots of ways where these kinds of stories do transform us. Uh, it's happened to me many times in listening to stories like this. The most recent was just two weeks ago. Um, our church had uh, the privilege of connecting uh, through Zoom with one of our global partners uh, who is in Ukraine, Andrei Kujikov. Uh, and if you weren't able to join us on that call, you missed an amazing testimony uh, and, and time of interaction with someone who's going through a very unique moment in their life as he's, he's seeing how God is shaping him through this war that his people are going through in Ukraine. And Andre has had to flee uh, his home, and he's on a border town now, and he's ministering to other refugees, and he's, he's joined up with another local church plant there, continuing to minister the gospel. But Andre didn't really share much with us about the, the physical troubles, 
um, requests for things like that. Really what he kept wanting to share with us is the way that God is shaping him spiritually. Um, he, got to the, he said, I've gotten to the point where even though I see what is happening is evil and it's at the hands of evil men, I can thank God for this because I'm seeing already how he's turning this for good. Uh, and as we were listening to, to Andre speak a couple different times during the call, Patrick Havens, one of the pastors here, was leading the call, and he, he just stopped and said, Andre, would you pray for us? Um, would you pray for us right now that God would do some of these things, shape us in this, these ways? And as I was listening, I was just profoundly impacted by hearing how God was at work through him. The, and I wanted, it was contagious, I wanted his kind of faith. I wanted his kind of nearness to God, to experience that kind of closeness, to, to have the kind of tender love that he has for his people, his church, his countrymen, his, his nation, and for the lost. And to hear, I, I wanted some of the burden that he had for, for the, the next generation. He was saying, I'm feeling th this unique sense of needing to pass on to the next generation a genuine and authentic and real faith where we aren't just playing at church and going through the motions, but where this transforms our lives. And listening to testimonies like that, listening to reports like that, stories like that, can shape us. It can transform us. It can motivate us uh, to want to join in and see God do those things here as well. And I think that's what God has for us today as a church. Uh, as we're going to read this account of this missionary journey, this report from Paul, to hear what God did through him and for us to see what are some things about that that God wants to use to shape us as a church. What are some things about that where God's wanting to encourage and motivate and inspire us to say, yes, God, we want to join in on your mission as well or renew our joining in on your mission as well. So imagine, like I said, that Paul is here and he's going to take us through what God has just done for him. What we're going to see pop up several different times are four different commitments that we have of how disciples are made. We've shared these before as a church, but listen to this sentence. How disciples are made. It's the persevering proclamation of the word of God by the people of God in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. That's a lot of P's, um, four P's there that could help you remember this, that God does use his people. So automatically, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're included in this mission. This is, whether you think that's a good idea that God chose or not, this is his plan. It's to use us. It's to use his people. And how? It's through perseverance, even through opposition, through difficulty. It's through proclamation of the word of God. And it's through prayer, prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. And so let's look first at Acts 13. We'll start in verse 1. We'll see this journey from where they were sent out from in Antioch, um, going to Cyprus, which is this island um, in the Mediterranean. So let's start Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas 
Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Patrick already preached on this a couple weeks ago of of seeing this multi-ethnic leadership of this church that had started, this largely Gentile church that had started there in Antioch. In verse 2 it says, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, arriving at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas. And he said, you are full of all kinds of deceit And trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So from the very beginning of this ministry, this mission, it, it starts with this prayerful dependence upon the Holy Spirit. It's actually the Holy Spirit who initiates uh, this, this ministry, this mission. He says, as, as the, the church was gathered, they were worshiping, they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul, these are, these are two of the leaders, two key leaders in that church. And the Holy Spirit, God says, I want to send them out. So God has this mission. Uh, he's expanding his kingdom, restoring his kingdom by gathering in people from every nation. And he says, I want these two and I want you to send them for the mission that I have called them to. And even after God says that, the church fasts and prays lays hands on them and sends them out. And so this is a church in Antioch that was fully aware of how desperately they needed God. And it was was driving their practice of prayer where where here, before this, this mission begins, they're gathering, they're fasting, so they're setting aside food or other things to to acknowledge and say to God, God, we need you more than any of these things. And they were crying out to God in prayer, seeking his direction, his guidance, his filling, his help. This is what's needed as God's people. And then, and then I want you to look with me at the ways the proclamation of the word shows up. So we're going to see these, these points come up in every different place, village, town that they go to. Verse 5, 
It says, arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And then in verse 12, it says, the proconsul believed. Why? Because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so here, central to this mission, central to the way that Paul and Barnabas were going out and seeking to make disciples was by this commitment to the word of God and proclaiming, speaking the word of God to others. But then we see this perseverance already showing up. The first one, I'll admit, is a little bit of conjecture. It's an argument from silence. But the way that Luke tells this story is that they're, they're traveling all the way through this island of Cyprus. They, they land on the east side, and they walk all the way across this island to the west, and there's no mention of any converts there. It says that they're speaking the word of God in the synagogues, but then they, they come all the way to the west to Paphos, and that's the first time that they see someone who's interested in the gospel. And so this first opposition could be rejection or just indifference, this slow or lack of response. But then when they get, when they get to Paphos and they have this proconsul who's, who's interested, he's wanting to hear about this message of Jesus, there is a Jewish false prophet that's there. Some sort of syncretism where he's, he's mix, mixing probably his Jewish um, origin or um, his ethnicity, but, but he's, he's obviously dabbling with demonic uh, types of faith also. Uh, and Paul speaks that way to him. He says, you are a son of the devil. You are following the devil. And he's, he's called this false prophet or this uh, sorcerer. And Paul does not back down at this opposition when Elymas is, is there and he's trying to, to, trying to persuade the proconsul, don't listen to this. And he's, he's trying to stop this message from going forth. Paul looks directly at him. It says there's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, which leads to a kind of boldness. And he looks at this man and he says, you are a son of the devil. And he, he pronounces on him then the judgment of God and he goes blind. Isn't this unique in thinking about Paul's history, Paul also, remember, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was trying to stop the spread of the gospel. And God also caused him to be blind. And that was part of what led to Paul's conversion then. And we don't know the, the end of the story here with Elymas. But this first supernatural work that we see Paul doing is to pronounce judgment on this man. And then both through that sign, but then it specifically this passage says, because of the teaching this proconsul turns to Christ and believes. If, if Paul were here, that alone would be a cool story. An amazing story where we'd be rejoicing with him. Okay, so he's, he's gone to Cyprus and he's traveling across this island and maybe he's telling us, you know, we're preaching and we're not hearing any response, but we finally come across this leader and he's interested uh, but then there's this, there's this battle because there's this Jewish false prophet, this sorcerer, and he's trying to stop it. He's trying to persuade this guy not to believe. And God uses us to, to cause him to be blind. The, the proconsul believes. And so there's this conversion. And uh, there, there's joy. The, the, think of the joy that we would have as a church celebrating with him about how this man came to faith and the, the excitement of thinking, how could this begin to spread the gospel in Cyprus? But that's just the first town because now they leave there 
And we're going to look at how they go up to Antioch of Pisidia. And this is uh, modern-day Turkey. Look in verse 13. It says, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and come to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After, reading of, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the leader of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Now, he might not have known who he was asking, uh, that this little word of encouragement turned into what is for us Paul's longest recorded sermon uh, in the book of Acts. And so this, this little crack in the door was open, and Paul steps in, and, and he's going to give them a word. Um, this word of encouragement, his sermon. Think with me, though, about this sermon. He's in the Jewish synagogue. Um, so these are God-fearing Jews, but then there's also God-fearing Gentiles that were there as well, converts. And so there is a history that they have of the scriptures. And so Paul's sermon to them is going to have that in mind. And so he's, he's wanting to argue with them or, or persuade them that their whole faith that's been looking forward to this Messiah as God was going to rescue his people, it's here. It's here in an unexpected way, but it's here, and it's here through Jesus. So this is what he's going to, to preach to them. I'm going to read this sermon. It is kind of a long reading, but listen, imagine that you're hearing Paul preach this. Verse 16. Paul stood up, he motioned with his hand, and he said, Fellow Israelites, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and he led them out of it with his mighty arm. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. After destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. So what Paul's done so far is just traced some of what would have been familiar history to them of how God had been at work with his people, the people of Israel, and how there were promises to, given to them that David would be this eternal king. And now what he's going to do next is what Peter does in Acts 2, where he's going to look at some of these psalms, some of these promises to David, and say, now David didn't actually fully fulfill this, where it says that David's going to be this eternal king who would not see decay, because David did die. David did decay. So look at, look at his argument there. What he's, what he's pointing to is that this is all finding its fulfillment in Jesus. Verse 23, from this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, who do you think I am? 
I'm not the one. The one is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they'd carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up from him, or sorry, to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. We ourselves Proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it's written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. As to his raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up, he did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Where it says, look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. That's the end of his sermon there. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. Um, This sermon that Paul preached might not have been written specifically with you in mind, especially if you don't have much background in any kind of the Christian religion at all. If you don't know any of these scriptures, Paul was speaking to to some that had some background in this and, and wanting to tell them, okay, this is here now. It's fulfilled in Jesus But this same call is for you. This is what God is calling you to today. That you would turn from trusting in anything else. That there is a Savior who has come to live for you, to die for you, and he rose again to eternal life so that all who turn and trust in him can find forgiveness can be made right with God. I'd love to talk with you more about that. If you have questions about that, I'll be down here at the front after the service. And if you just want to hear more or want even to set up a time with me or someone else to talk more about this, we'd love to talk to you about this because this is so important. It's your soul. Today is the day of salvation. And we'd love to talk to you more. As Paul finished his sermon, 
It says in verse 42, as they were leaving, people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. So they're asking him, come, come back next week. We want, to hear, we want to hear more. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews, the devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Think about this. Just imagine if we're hearing Paul give us this, this report. I was able to go into this synagogue and they asked me if I had anything to say and I got to speak this clear message of salvation. And then many were, were asking questions afterward uh, and I was able to speak with them and urge them. Uh, and, and the whole town came back the next week. Almost everybody in the whole town came and they wanted to hear this message excitement that would be there. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We're turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. And now he's going to quote from Isaiah 49, verse 6, which has this prophecy that God is going to take this Jewish nation and use them as a light to bring salvation to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. So he says in Isaiah 49, I've made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. Listen to this response. This is, this is so exciting. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced. They honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Luke's wanting to emphasize there, that again, God's initiation in, in rescuing and ordaining a people for himself. Verse, verse 49 says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Let's go back through this section then, just thinking about this story at Antioch, what happened there, and where do we see this emphasis on the proclamation of the word and on perseverance through difficulty and opposition. Uh, verse 15, we see, it says, brothers, if any of you have a word of encouragement, and this is what launches Paul's whole sermon, and as Paul is preaching, it's, it's filled, it's saturated with scripture and, and accounts from the scripture as he's, he's seeing this is the way, this is the way that they're going to hear this message of the Messiah. There's a centrality here to, to proclaiming, to, to speaking the word. In verse 32, right in the middle of his sermon, this is what he says to them. He says, we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. Verse 38, he uses that word proclaim again. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified. 
in verse 43, it says, Paul and Barnabas were speaking with them, urging them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 46, the word of God was spoken. Verse 48, they honored the word of the Lord. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. As you just trace some of this language of the word of God, we, we have to be gripped as a church by seeing we must be committed to this as well. This is how God seeks to spread his kingdom. It's through the proclamation of the word. Some, some have said, you know, just let your, let your life uh, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. That's a, a phrase that gets picked on sometimes. And it's, there's, there's half truth in that, like our light should shine. But as a church, we must recognize we also have to speak the word. Through, through preaching in crowds, through, through one-on-one Bible reading, through one-on-one conversations, large group or small, it doesn't matter, but there, there is this essential element of proclaiming this message of the gospel. What are the perseverance that's needed? The first one's in verse 13, right at the very beginning. When they get to Antioch, it says, John left them. We, we know from later in Acts, this bothered Paul. Uh, It felt like an abandonment. Uh, We don't know the circumstances. We don't know why John left. Uh, But but he does here. And this could have been discouraging. Imagine you've got your team and and someone someone leaves. Someone abandons. That could have been a a discouragement. But verse 45, things pick up. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And what did they do? They began to contradict what Paul was saying and insulting him. What Paul faces later, uh, as it intensifies, maybe we're not going to face. We might. And we, want, we need to be willing to face physical persecution as well. But, but this is mentioned here too, and this we will face. If you're speaking the truth of the gospel, undoubtedly you're going to face some contradiction and some insults. Some people who turn on you. But then down in verse 50, it does intensify. It says the Jews incited. And then it says they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They expelled them from their district. And so there's persecution, this physical. They were kicked out of this place. And so just, again, if we're hearing Paul describe this, the tone that he has, though, that, the last verse in this section, it says the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So there is a persevering joy. Even though, even though they're getting persecution, even though they're kicked out of this place, this makes sense to us. If this, again, if this is the story, this, if this was the end of this journey, and Paul was here and he was sharing this with us, and so we got to go to Antioch, and we're there, and we're preaching the gospel, many believed. And, and, and there were some Jews who opposed us, and they were insulting us. But then we said, oh, but the gospel is going to the Gentiles, and you should have seen the Gentiles. They started rejoicing, and they were coming, and the word of God spread through the whole region. And there, you can just hear the, the excitement as they're seeing these promises of God are being fulfilled. His mission is going forth. His kingdom is expanding. New people are gathered into God's family. There's joy that's there even through, even through the hardship. Chapter 14, they go to Iconium. So they're persecuted, they're kicked out of Antioch, and they go over to another neighboring town of Iconium. Verse, verse 1 of 14 says, 
In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time, and they spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. And there they continued preaching the gospel. So this is more of a summary. It's condensed. Um, but let's, let's look at our points again here. The proclamation of the word. Right away they get to Iconium and it says they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. In verse 3, it says they stayed there for a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord. Luke again is emphasizing the importance of the message, the content, the proclamation of the word of God. But what is the, what's the difficulty? What's the perseverance that, the, that we see here? In verse 2, it says there's, again, a stirring up, a poisoning of the minds. People are trying to turn others against them. In verse 5, though, there's an, it says there's an attempt to mistreat and stone. Mistreat sounds maybe not so bad, but stone here is the strongest thing that we've read yet. Uh, stoning, was an, this was an attempt to kill them by, in, in a brutal way of picking up rocks and stones and gathering around them and throwing at them until just by blunt force trauma, uh, someone would die. I, I can't imagine witnessing that kind of, of murderous execution. And so they, they found out, though, that this was what was going to be attempted, and they fled from there. But then they go to Lystra and Derby, and they continue preaching the gospel. They don't stop. They don't come home. Uh, there's a perseverance in continuing this mission. Look at verse 8. Now they're in Lystra. This, is, this is, would have been a town in uh, what's in our Bibles referred to as Galatia. Or the, the, when Paul wrote this letter to the, the churches of Galatia, likely these, these are the, the towns that he's writing to, the churches he's writing to. But as he, as he describes it here, there's no Jewish synagogue. And so this is getting more and more pagan, further and further away from any kind of Jewish faith. Uh, and we see that even in the way that they respond and in the way that Paul changes his message, his sermon. So verse 8. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, and he had never walked, and he had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bowls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this, and they, they rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also, just like you. We're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God 
who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave them without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews then came from Antioch and Iconium. Those were the two places they just came from. So they were following them. Uh, and they won over the crowds and they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Paul's proclamation of the word shifts here. Uh, he, he is not speaking. We don't see him here speaking of Jesus uh, as the Messiah, the promised one who came and died and rose again and is establishing, establishing his kingdom. No, he's, he's recognizing with this crowd there's more pre-evangelism that's needed or apologetics. He's just wanting to argue with them that, no, there is one true and living God. And so he's, he's pointing to nature and pointing to the way that God has revealed himself to them and Certainly Paul would get to Jesus and, and tell them that there is salvation found in no one else. But he's, he's beginning with them by just speaking to them about who God is. How there is one true God. And he says, we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn away from these worthless things to the living God. So there's, there is still, even though it's different for a different audience, there is still a proclamation here of the word of God. But think of, the, think of the challenge that they face here in Lystra. There, it's actually two different challenges that seem very opposite. One is this too positive a response, and then this hyper-negative response. So at first, the crowds see this miracle. They see that he's raised this lame man who has not been able to walk, and they think, oh, this must be the incarnation of Zeus and Hermes who've come to us in human form. Uh, so some of their own uh, religious beliefs and faith of, of these, this pantheon of gods, they're seeing, okay, this must be, they must be here. And so they're, they're actually trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. And it, that could have been taken advantage of for a while. I'm thinking, I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they've just kind of, they've gone through some tough things. Uh, let's just let them do some of this nice stuff for a while and treat us this way, treat us like gods for a while, and then we'll be able to, then we'll, then we'll actually correct them. No, they don't, they don't do that. They, they, they fight against any kind of self-indulgence or any kind of selfishness or any kind of taking uh, of worship or praise that was deserved for God alone, and they tear their robes in this sign of humility and self-deprecation, and they are saying, no, there is only one God who is worthy of that kind of worship. And so they, they persevere through that. But then as they are preaching and as people are coming to faith, this, th these other enemies come in opposition. And here it does say that they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city because they thought he was dead. Think of the kind of injuries, the, kind, the amount of Stones, the amount of damage to someone's body or the placement of where those shots landed that would have somehow injured Paul so severely that the crowd that was around stopped because they thought he was dead. That was their goal. Their goal was to kill him. 
So they weren't stopping early to, to hope, oh, well, maybe that was, that'll teach him a lesson. No, they, it says they thought he was dead, and they dragged him out of the city so that he could rot. And the, the, the disciples then gather around him. It doesn't say what they do, but it, it seems, from a human perspective at least, that physically, if someone's going to recover from that, uh, it's going to take a miracle. I think that's likely what happened here. There's the disciples gather around him. They're, they're praying for him, and God restores his strength. God heals him because it says the next day he gets up and he's ready to travel. Uh, and so he, he doesn't, though, stop. Even, even if physically somehow he was fine, uh, he, he doesn't go home here for, for mental recovery, physical recovery. Paul just keeps on going. There's a there is an inspiring amount of perseverance that says, whatever comes, I'm called by God to continue preaching the gospel. And let's just finish the story out. Verse 21, they go to Derby, and we just got a real short summary there. It says, after they preached the gospel in, in that town in Derby, and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, and they strengthened the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith, by telling them it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, praying, they prayed with fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From there they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had done with them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Again here, we're seeing this preaching of the gospel, strengthening of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith, speaking the word to them. One thing that stands out here is just in, in this one verse, verse 21, it says they made many disciples and then they went back to all these towns where many disciples were made and they strengthened them. And so as a church, that could be a prayer goal for us. God, use us. Help us. God, cause us to see many come to faith, to see many disciples made. And then help us not only to focus on that, but also to strengthen the disciples who are here as well. That twofold aspect of discipleship, of where people are brought into the family and then they are strengthened in that faith. But then again, here there's prayer. Verse 23 When they had appointed elders for them in every church, it says they prayed with fasting. So the beginning and the end of this missionary journey, it's surrounded by fasting and by prayer. And then verse 28 again, we see this perseverance as it says they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So all the way through, what's compelling to us, should be compelling to us, is how are disciples made? Where do we fit in to this mission? And what, what should we be committed to if we're engaging in this mission? It is prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit, proclamation of the word, and persevering no matter what comes, through difficulty, also through blessing. It's, it is this perseverance all the way through. Let's just think about that. 
I'd like you to, as we, as we close, for you to think about what is, what is maybe one step I want to take. As I, as I hear this, I'm, I'm encouraged by this. I'm motivated by this. I'm inspired by this. I, yes, I, I want to go all in. I want to see God do this kind of work. I want him to see him use our church to, to grow and to reach this community, to, to send out uh, people to, to other places and to see this kingdom continue to expand, for us to, to remember that God is still on this mission and for us to think about where do I fit in that? Maybe it's by, by prayerfully considering, is there one of these areas that I want to grow in? Let's take proclamation of the word. Who can you tell? Maybe God's bringing someone to your mind right now. Maybe you, you, maybe you live near them, but you've never even talked to them. And so beginning that relationship or engaging with them, or and maybe you've already talked with them and, and it's, it's come time to where th- there could be an opening for you to evangelize and actually speak the truth, proclaim the truth of the gospel to them. Maybe you're not sure how in your own relationships where that could happen, then jump into a ministry here at the church. Where could you serve here that would help you be able to, to further the proclamation of the gospel? Um, through children's ministry. Uh, the, the, there are kids here. Kids are here in our services today, but uh, next week as, as kids' classes start back up, uh, for, for you to, to think, maybe I could serve there and be able to proclaim the truth to this next generation. Or in the fall, Crossroads Kids Club starts up where we're able to, to do Bible clubs with many unbelieving kids uh, in the, the public schools. Uh, or maybe it's, maybe it's just through the, the greeting and welcome ministry because there are guests who are here uh, every week coming into this church, many of them coming because God is beginning to do some kind of work in them that has caused them to think, oh, I want to go check out church again, or I want, I want to go, go see, um, give church another try, or something like that. And God could use you to further his kingdom through different ways that you could serve here in this church. Maybe, though, as you think about that, as you think of proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the word, I need to grow first in that. I need to, I need to understand this better. And so maybe your step is continued personal Bible reading and study, connecting in with a gospel community or men's and women's Bible studies, different small groups that are here or attending one of the classes when they are offered. And you're thinking, I want to be equipped so that I can share this kind of word. What about Perseverance. Maybe you're feeling today like, oh, no, I just easily quit. Easily discouraged. I've tried before. I've tried with my friends. I've tried with my neighbors. I, I, it feels like it's just met with resistance or indifference. I've tried to engage in different ministries before, and I've just kind of given up. I stopped maybe um, at, at a time. I, I can think back of times, but I'm just, I've just been discouraged Maybe it's fear, fear of insult, fear of persecution, fear of being ostracized. Or maybe it's temptations of the world. Uh, just a, a laziness or a pursuit of ease or sin, uh, temptations that you're just giving into that these different things are, are keeping you from, from engaging on this mission. Whatever it is, think about, what, identify what are the things that are holding me back right now. And then this last one, prayerful dependence. David mentioned last week that our church is going to gather Wednesday nights the whole month of August from 6.30 to 8 for prayer meetings. I'd, I'd really love to see a large percentage of our church able to make those 
for us to, to, to follow this model of this church in Antioch where they're gathered together for worship and, and prayer and, and fasting and they're, they're seeking the Lord, they're seeking his will. They're, we can pray as a church that God would use us to make many and stronger disciples, that God would give us a kind of gospel boldness. In, in this passage, they're praying actually for leaders uh, to be sent out uh, and so gathering to pray for, and, and ask God, being hungry for him to give us guidance and, and good leadership that we would follow his lead. For help us to be growing in our impact in this community and through our global partners around the world to see spiritual breakthroughs. Maybe God is moving in your heart right now to remind you, oh, you desperately need him. He wants you to cry out to him to ask him to do great things, to ask him to do things that, humanly speaking, seem impossible. For us to remember today that Jesus is still on his mission to the ends of the earth. And he's inviting us. He's already invited us. We're part of that. We are the ends of the earth. We're one of the ends. And we're continuing to engage to the ends of the earth. Don't forget, we are part of that mission as well. Let's pray together.